Welcome back. Welcome in Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com back again to for the final game of the season. By all indications, Chris, this is actually going to happen. So that's good news. Chris Anderson, are you excited about the Liberty Bowl as I am? <laughs> I don't think anybody can be as excited about the Liberty Bowl as you are, Michael. Um, but yeah, we're recording this. Um, God, what day is it? I always get confused when we get around Christmas and New Year's and nobody's working and things aren't open. Uh, the day before the game, whatever that day is. Uh, and so far, so good. You know, I guess we'll get the official final word here in a couple hours. So maybe we'll find out that all this podcast is moot. But, um, it, you know, no indications, like you said, of, of anything, any issues. And looks like game's on. Yeah. Um, I'm jazzed because I told you this before. It's just fun to watch Army. It's it's so different than what we've watched for nine games this season and for years and years in a row covering West Virginia. And you don't see Army on TV a lot. You don't see the offense or some variation of it that they run a lot, unless you're watching some SEC or ACC team play an FCS program in September. So to actually get a chance to stare at this for a while and, and like you're going to have four quarters of it, uh, Thursday, today's Wednesday the 30th, by the way. So tomorrow we'll get four quarters of it. And it's just different. It's fun. It's unique. It's unusual. And I'm, I'm my eyeballs, my, my head are ready for a change on this. And again, it's a New Year's Eve game that starts at four. I, I really think we're going to be dropping ice in the glass at like eight o'clock in the afternoon, evening tomorrow, which is great news, right? Yeah, we had what, what maybe the fastest game I can remember since I started doing, you know, I started on this in 2010. You were doing this long before that. But the TCU game earlier this year, I think, mm-hmm. was was maybe the shortest game I can remember. And that was exactly and, it, and according to the official game notes, I literally mean exactly three hours um, over under three hours tomorrow. Uh, uh, it's a good question. They play the games... three hours is fast. Yeah, <laughs> so they've. Play games at 254, 253, and 251 this year. They've also played 310, 302. So half their games have been like under three and a quarter hours, which is great. Um, here's my concern, Chris. Yeah. The Texas Bowl has been canceled. That's your primetime spot on New Year's Eve. There's no game there now. No. Do they do it? <laughs> no way. I was asked on Twitter and I got like very upset because I was like, oh my gosh. And I, let's see if I can find the gentleman's name. It's a good question. I don't want to steal his thunder, but I was thinking in my head, they can't do that. No. And I realized I was so upset because they probably can do that. They don't care about me and you or anybody else who may have plans and they could just do it if they wanted to. Mark uh, Cockenderfer? Sure. He asked me the question on online so mark if you're listening uh it, it really threw me into a bad spot but he asked with the texas bowl canceled which is supposed to be played after the liberty bowl thursday night will the west virginia army game be moved back into prime time i think you probably can't do that now just because teams are on a schedule and they got everything set up to wake up to practice to eat to walk through all that stuff i don't think they're going to mess that up even though it would be as simple as just moving everything back four hours i just don't think they're going to do that but i also hope they don't do that and I would be really pissed if they did that. Yeah, I think if, if maybe the Texas Bowl was canceled, you know, three days ago instead of yesterday, it, it might have been something they would do. But uh, maybe a little too short notice to throw both teams off their entire schedule and TV having to, you know, kind of adjust to that. And everybody, everybody that's actually working the games, because there are fans that are going to be at the game, 
right? Like, I believe there are going to be, I mean, limited capacity, obviously, but, you know, the the stadium workers, the stadium, the TV, everything like that, radio, might have been a little too much to ask on short notice. You caught Brown's media day on, what would that have been, Sunday? Sure. (laughs) Like he said, it felt like Tuesday. That's all I knew. Um, Boy, he, he made his team seem like, this was the greatest opportunity ever for them. Um, said that this will be the most watched game outside of the college football playoff semifinals. Mm. Bold. I like it. Um, and then I'll just tell you, I've heard them playing like the Russian national anthem at the practice field. <laughs> Instead I, of I like, was wondering that is, are they going to go full heel? That would be fantastic. I'd be okay with them going because he said it, you know, no one's going to be rooting for WVO. Nobody <laughs> in the entire country outside of West Virginia. I, I Go full heel. Go all out. Let's go. I, I, here come the Bolsheviks running down the aisle with their steel chairs, and they've hit, they've hit Jeff Munkin over the head with a steel chair. Oh, no. <laughs> I just I, – I think this is, like, the best thing ever now because, like, they, they, listen, it's – you have to do something to get your team up for a bowl game by and large. And then for a lot of these people before and after they see the film, they probably don't take – Army very seriously, and that means outsiders, I believe. Maybe even on the inside too. But I think if their fans are looking to turn on the TV or whatever, do I want to watch this? It's Army. It's it's a running game. It's middle school, high school football. It's not. It's not. It's not. But that's probably um, a true reflection to some extent. And here it is saying, "Wait a minute, no, no, no. Everybody's gonna be watching. Therefore, you should watch. And everybody's gonna be rooting against us. Therefore, you should help your squad get over the hump here." And I'm sure that probably resonates in the locker room too about going out there and, yeah, if you're trying to beat the Army. That doesn't make you feel good, I'm sure. And then when you probably hear some of the stories that I am sure they have told their players about what these, the, what their opponents go through on a daily basis, and by the way, they're training for football and also war, I'm sure that the players develop a level of respect for them too. So motivation can be hard in things like this and situations like this, especially when they change, because you're right, I think, the more I thought about it, they probably got up for beating Tennessee in an SEC team. They probably know people from recruiting camps or from high schools that they played against on those teams, maybe have friends, rivals, whatever, to some extent, they're looking forward to playing a really good game against a major conference team. Don't get that. You get Army. That's a bit different. But the motivation to get them ready, how important do you think that is? And I don't. I guess I already have your answer. We're not making too much out of what Brown said. That did seem pretty obvious and pretty pointed. So far, so good? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, he's, I think he's taking the right angle here of, hey, everybody's written against us. This is a good team, 9-2. and two. Um Again, there there were positives and, and negatives to both of these matchups. With Tennessee, you get the name, and, and I think most people are just going to forget that Tennessee was what were they three and seven, mm-hmm. three and three and six, something like that. They nobody's going to really know that. They're just going to say, "Hey, West Virginia beat Tennessee in a bowl game." Uh, with Army, I, I think people are going to say they beat Army in a bowl game, but uh, hey, Army was nine and two, and they were ranked in the that's a top twenty-five win. So there is something to that, and I think he, he's he's taking the right angle here of saying that. You know, the, the the nobody believes in us team. There you go. Nobody believes in us. Uh, that that kind of angle, and I think that can can motivate the guys in the locker room. I mean, they can literally get out the map of the United States, as they did for the Georgia game many years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it would be one state. <laughs> I mean, you probably have one state, but it would be the same thing again. But like, ideally, everybody in America roots for their army if they ever need it. It's kind right. of a fun thing to think about. Like, oh dang, we got to beat our army, but they have to there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a challenge. I'd be I'd be curious to hear some of the backstories about this, but I think also once you put on some of their tape, offense and defense, that you get an idea that you probably better take this seriously. Otherwise, you're going to have 
well, you're going to have a, a sub three hour game that's going to be a long day and then therefore a long offseason because, hey, if you, oh, you beat Army in a bowl game. By the way, if you don't beat Army in a bowl game, that's going to change things too. Leads me on my next question. We oftentimes say these things don't really matter outside of a handful of bowl games. You have your New Year's Six, are they propped up to be the most important things in college football? Every game matters, of course, except those six are more important than the other. But West Virginia has a chance to finish six and four, which theoretically isn't that different from five and five, except that how they get to six and how they get to how they get to six and four and how they get to five and five would be very different. Um, given all that's happened this year, and you probably figure they just want to get into the offseason as soon as they can. I can't imagine a situation where six and four is so much more different than five and five, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah. I think it's, it's just the way the whole season has ended as a whole. Like, like you can't really look at this one game as being, you know, Hey, six and four, five and five, like you said, but then it's the, the end of the season is getting, just utterly embarrassed by Iowa State, postpone or postponement, embarrassed by Iowa State, cancellation, missing senior day, and then you know, and then if you end up losing this game to Army, and then you're ending the year with back-to-back losses and and postponement cancellation for the entire last what five weeks? Mm-hmm. That that's your last five weeks. That that's that's five weeks of, uh, that you know, n- no positive news really. Uh, I mean, I guess there is positive news when you when you get a, a solid signing day, uh, and and you're getting good news on transfers and seniors coming back. But as far as on field product, you're not getting much anything positive for five weeks. And and really, if you want to be honest about it, you're talking two entire months where you had one decent, show, you know, one really good showing against TCU, and then the the heartbreaking loss to Texas bye week postponement you know, demolished cancellation and then potentially losing uh, the bowl game. That, that would be, it, it's really the whole picture there of the last month, two months that could, that could hurt things. Yeah. And I get that you can ball up this season and throw in the corner to some extent, because you're probably not going to have the same conditions again. So even if things don't go well tomorrow, you could say, uh, oh, just the end of a long year, it doesn't necessarily project forward. Like you expect, or you might worry, but you can also see there being some <clears throat> deleterious effects. <laughs> as you go into the off season there too immediate impressions concerns when you think about the game i think the tony fields absence is going to be i mean let's let's be blunt here because i think a lot of people just just put tony fields on this pedestal of he's amazing he's the greatest thing that happened to this defense and why is he not getting honors for you know uh, all american and all this stuff and, and a lot of it is and the coaches have alluded to it. I think outright said it a couple times of he's really out of position a lot, but he's just so active and so fast and so athletic that he makes up for it. Sometimes that might be a problem against army if you're out of position, but I think I'd rather have Tony fields out there trying to clog up the middle than some of the other options. West Virginia is going to be going to this game with. And cause this is uh you know this this is not a fun game to play if you're on defense i don't think it's you know even even if you're stopping them you're miserable you're getting cut blocked you're just pounding into a pile of bodies over and over and over again you know deep talk to defenders and, and their favorite plays are interceptions breaking up passes getting big hits in the open field getting sacks none of that's going to happen <laughs> none of that's going to happen tomorrow it's going to be just piles of bodies 
and a lot of assisted tackles of guys just I got an arm on him and there's four of us in this pile. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Like if you if you like to raise hell, this is probably not the game to necessarily do that. You're just gonna have to make a lot of fundamental plays in a row and sit down in the locker room afterwards and be like, I did my job. <laughs> I guess because yeah, you're not going to pick off passes because you're going to see they've thrown four in their three game winning streak. So they, they, you may force them to pass some more tomorrow, but it's going to be uh, a tough road to get there. And the other thing is too, like you think triple option, they don't pitch it very much. So you're not going to be blowing guys up and batting the ball on the pitch or anything like that. So a lot of your chances to, to do something fun against the triple option aren't going to be there because it, it's a lot of quick stuff. It, it's it, it's that guy in the middle. It's a guy running on the wing or it's something that's kind of different to tricky, but you're right. It's, it's not, not a, not a walk in the park there. And then by the way, they're coming at your hips, your knees and your ankles all the time. Um, and they, man, they're, they're mean too. Like, they have weird personal foul penalties and it's not because they're dirty. I believe Neil Brown called them nasty. They play with a, like a mean streak, which again, you hope they have. And they, they don't, they don't hide it. You know, they flaunt it sometimes. They go to the whistle. They go after the whistle. They have a roughing the holder penalty this year. They have a lot of personal fouls for late hits or things like that. So I'm not saying they're dirty, but, like, you can tell when you watch them that they they do not want you to enjoy your time with them. And when you're upset, they're loving it. So probably staying tucked in and playing, being cool and not taking the bait on their stuff physically is one thing. But also, you do want to make a play so bad. You see something and you go after it. And all of a sudden, it's a counter, or someone's coming from your side knocking you down, or it's a trick and the ball's in the air. You really got to have the balance of being aggressive and then making sure you're not blowing up your assignment because you want to do something. You got to wait till you have to do something. And I thought Jamal and Dai explained that pretty well. Play it cool, be aggressive, but like be patient. And then once you see something that you recognize, then go after it. Yeah, you may give up a couple yards, but like you're not going to get fooled and, and like you're not going to have a guy who's running up the left sideline where all the action is on the right sideline. You see that a lot with Army, too. And about a half of their yards receiving are after the catch because guys are wide open and running away from people because they get tricked. So I don't know how that'll work in the first 5, 10, 15 minutes, but you figure middle quarters, they should have this thing settled in a little bit. But it seems like every game we talk about, that first quarter is really important with the layoff and with their inactivity and even their performance lately. Got to feel like that first quarter is a, is a major, major uh, mile marker for the team, for both teams probably. That's what I was about to ask you. I was like, I feel like if you look back at uh, at least three of the last four games, maybe four of the last five, five of the, five of the last six, I guess, going back mm-hmm. to Kansas, you know, basically just not not counting the Texas game, I feel like we could tell how the game was going to go after about halfway through the first quarter, maybe the first quarter. I could have told you exactly what the score would have been almost. Like, I, you know, Iowa State, we talked about that after three drives. We were like, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. Two drives. Uh, TCU, you know, you, you kind of felt like West Virginia was dominating that game right from the get. Kansas State, same way. Texas Tech, you already saw, you, you know, the defense slipping and not keeping Columbia in, in, in contained. And then obviously, you know, dominating the Kansas game a little bit there. But I, I think I, I'm curious if it's going to be the same way in this in this Liberty Bowl. It, are we going to know the answer? Are we going to be able to project how the game's going to turn out by the end of the first quarter? Do you think? No, mm. at least the score, because I don't think I don't think that I just think there's going to be a period of adjustment. And I also think that people maybe underestimate Army a little bit, too, um, in that they they do goof some things up sometimes and they fall behind, but they don't give up. They trailed they trailed Tulane 14 nothing. And never got back in that game. 
a week later, they trailed Georgia Southern 14 nothing and 21-7 and won the game. So Tulane was interesting. Like they're, they're similar teams, Tulane and Georgia Southern, because they all come from that, that flex bone kind of lineage there, too, with their offenses doing what kind of what Munkin does at Army. More athletic, more formations at Tulane and Georgia Southern. But you see that, and you're thinking, all right, 14-0, got it where they want it. Well, it was 14-12 in the second quarter. So Army got back into that game a little bit, just didn't get the two-point conversion to tie the score, and then lost 38-12. So second half wasn't really there. But by the middle of that second quarter, game on again. And then again, Georgia Southern has them 14-0, 21-7. Army comes back and wins that game with 21, I believe, unanswered in the third and fourth quarter. So I don't think you can guarantee it. And I just think that their style is meant to beat you. Uh, it's meant to punch you in the mouth in the first quarter, but really wear on you and take you in the final 20, 25 minutes. And there are some cool stats about what they do in the fourth quarter, uh, how much they possess the ball, how much they run the ball, that, like literally no one else does that. I think you probably can't disregard that. I guess the better question would be, can they get to that point? Because West Virginia, we say as a bunch, is really good at getting into their game. Not lately, but that was when they were going really well. That's what they did really well. Can they do that again? I don't know. It's going to be hard because you're going to have to make the most of your possessions. You really don't want to go three and out or five and out because you're probably going to be on the sideline for seven minutes waiting again for it to get the ball back. So they're going to be really efficient. So first quarter, sure. Final quarter, absolutely. But I'd be curious how the middle 12, 15 minutes work out, you know, before halftime, after halftime, because you got a chance to pull away from it or you got a chance to get back in the game. And conversely, you have a chance to create some distance and, and you know, do something good that makes Army question itself and what it wants to do the rest of the game. Uh, and we really can't, and you you uh, kind of touched on it there, we can't forget the other side of the ball because yeah. Army's pretty good in defense, like really good. And I, I knew, you know, they're, I, I believe they're, they're number one in scoring or number two in scoring defense, number two in total defense, number one in pass defense. And yes, some of that is because they shorten the game so much. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, the other team's only getting a handful of drives. So, of course, they're, they're, they're having fewer opportunities to score points, so their average scoring defense is lower. But even looking at the, like, yards per play, you know, they're, they're top 20 in total defense in yards per play allowed. And, and that's that, you know, that has nothing to do with um, how many opportunities the other team has. It has nothing to do with how much they hold on to the ball uh, and their time of possession. Their passing defense, you know, the average passer rating for the other team, top 25 as well. So, and their rushing defense, I think, as far as yards per play allowed, it's top 30, top 40. So, not amazing, but above average. So, this is this is not a team to sleep on on that side of the ball either. I have to qualify a lot of their defensive rankings, of course. Right. Their yeah. offense has a lot to do with it. So does their competition. Um. I'm trying to get back to the schedule here if I can find it really quickly because they played a lot of run-oriented teams. Um, did a number on Middle Tennessee State, did a number on Louisiana Monroe to start the game. By the way, they started the season with 13 straight touchdown drives in those two games. Pretty good. And then mm-hmm. didn't get didn't embarrass themselves against Cincinnati. So you're playing group of five, group of five. By the way, two really bad group of five teams this year. You go to Cincinnati in 24-10. I don't think they had an offensive touchdown in that game, though. And then after that, Abilene Christian and the Citadel um, – I don't care what offense they run. They should probably lose 55 to 23 and maybe 14 to nine. Citadel runs pretty much with the offense that army does. Abilene Chris is a little bit different. They play UTSA um, Mercer again, another FCS team Tulane and Georgia Southern are flex bone teams. And then Navy and air force are again, 
kind of that that option offense there. So four teams in a row, really, at the end of the season, do not pass the ball. That said, neither one of them really did very well against West against Army's defense there too. Um, Army had 13 interceptions this year, and if you watch the highlights, which I have a good point about that in a minute, they catch the ball like balls are batted and deflected, and some guy runs in or some guy keeps with it. If it's thrown at them, they're going to catch it. Um, they jump passes all the time. Feels like that they probably do a really good job scouting, and they can be coached into reading things and and just reacting to it because you find them running in front of a lot of quick stuff. They're good at that too. So. I think they're all right. They have a really good cornerback and a really good safety that uh, Jabari Moore was from Hoover High in Alabama, was like a three-star player that could have gone to different places, ended up at Army. Um, Neil Brown knows him because he's from his neck of the woods in Alabama, so I thought that was an interesting point that he remembered, hey, that guy's good and he's on the other team, huh? And they get enough of a pass rush, I think. They don't get sacks or a lot of TFLs. I think some of the sack numbers have to do playing so many run offenses, but they have some defensive players who can – they're actually strong and tall guys, too. So we'll, we'll see how West Virginia's offensive line can hold up and who plays and how much. But I, I'd be curious to see what type of pressure they can put on Dayton. They haven't really harassed quarterbacks this year. That's going to be a key. Can you believe that? 13 interceptions against a bunch of teams. Like, you know, you just yeah. you made a good point there about how many teams run the ball. And then they have 13 interceptions, which is one of the best in the nation. And like you said, they their rate of actually picking passes off. I, I went over this in the preseason about how West Virginia, I believe it was last year, defended just a ton of passes. And mm-hmm. and the expectation is, on average, is that you're supposed to pick off one out of every five passes that you defend. And a defend is when you get your hand on the ball. You're expected mm-hmm. to pick off, on average, over time, one out of every five passes. Army's like one in three this year. They they have de- they have defended forty passes and have thirteen picks. Mm-hmm. That is that's remarkable, and that yeah you know, that that's how you end up with nine wins when you when you get I don't I, I hate to call it fumble luck and interception luck, but um, when you can make plays like that because this is this is just flat out making plays. Mm-hmm. That's how you end up with nine wins. Defensive coordinator is an interesting guy too. It's his first year. By the way, they have eight first year assistant coaches on their staff. That's wild wow. to me. Wow. Yeah, um, they went, he is, I believe, a former, I think he came up in, in Wofford. I'm trying to find here. Yeah, Nate Woody came up at Wofford. And I'm pretty sure the Wofford for a time was running, you know, option stuff. Uh, he also went to Appalachia State for a couple of years. And Appalachia State was was kind of used to be an undermanned and had to play different to win. Defensive coordinator at Georgia Tech. And then he was an analyst at Michigan last year. So what I would take from his experience is that he understands how to play defense with the offense and how to make the most of something when you're undermanned and you have to compete. Um, nothing against Appalachia State, but Appalachia State, 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17, they got better and better with their talent, but they were you know, transitioning for a time to the FBS. Didn't have a full wealth of 85 scholarship players. And, you know, they did. They were holdovers from the FCS. They're trying to build up their number from, what is it, 68, 63? I can't remember. Mm. Something like that, uh, right? Yeah. Yep. So they, they had to get the right 85 there, and I think that he had the – be good enough defensively to win without, I guess you would say, group of five FBS talent across the field. And then you learn how to do that. Okay, now I'm going to Georgia Tech where I have to play a totally different offense uh, on my side, and i got to learn how to play complementary football. And now he's at Army, and they look like they're pretty good too. I'd be curious to see how they would hold up against a better schedule, but I don't think it would be one of the worst defenses or even a middle-of-the-pack defense. They have some big guys and who put up good individual numbers and are solid in their scheme. Um where, when, how does West Virginia 
begin to pick that apart. I think it starts at Lady Brown, but don't you have to try to challenge him in the air too? I think so. I'm not sure you're going to be able to just kind of line it up um, and just pound it right up the middle, or which is which is what West Virginia wants to do. You know, they want to spread you out and then run it up the middle. And Neil, you know, Neil Brown kind of gave gave kudos to Army on both sides of the trenches, saying that they're not undersized, they're not undermanned. So I don't know if that's coach speak. I don't know enough about Army's personnel. I haven't watched too much of them this year. I've kind of gone back and watched some of their highlights, some of their plays um, in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell. Like you said, their schedule is bad. So I don't know if they're undermanned or or not compared to what West Virginia's used to facing. I would think they are a little bit, but if you can, I, I think you have to. I think you ride Letty Brown as much as you can, and then try to go deep on him. I, I think Diggy, you, you're going to have, or we're expecting them to have a full complement of receivers back for the game after missing out on a couple guys in the Iowa State game. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you have to kind of hammer home Letty Brown, and then try to take some shots deep. And then just put this game away. And I think best case scenario here is West Virginia gets up, I don't know, 10, 14 points by early second quarter. And then they kind of just cruise just like the, you know, the TCU game, which was 24-6, but felt like it was 44-6 just right. because the TCU was was not going to score again. Their rush defense was great to start the year. First four games, 75, 37, 69 against Cincinnati, and then 86 yards rushing. Since then, 148, 197, 113, 171, 175, 108, 154. Some mm. good numbers in there, too. Um, some good run offenses, too. UTSA, don't sleep on them. Uh, they have a, a running back, Sincere McCormick. I think he was the leading rusher in the FBS. If not, he was up there. He had 133 yards on 10, 18 carries. Uh, Tulane and Georgia Southern did their thing. Um, 5.3, 5.5 yards per carry. You can't hit him. Now, the thing is, they stuffed Navy and Air Force. I should say Air Force. Air Force average almost six yards a carry. Huh. So you can get him. Um, and then everybody's got a little bit of option offense, but they're going to have to probably use Daigie, I think, in the run game. Just They're going to want to be creative in that. I don't know if they will. We could make our mandatory Gary Green reference just because. But I, I think they're going to have to do something just to run the ball. Because you're right. Can they pound him at, pound Brown at him? It's worked before against Texas and TCU and good teams. Um, I shouldn't say Texas. Um, he got hurt in that game, but it's worked against good teams even late in the season. Can he do it again? I don't know. We'll see. Um, that's probably the biggest matchup, I think, is how much can they move the ball? And I think you're right. Play action stuff. And I, I just see Army so much in the passing lane, aggressive, jumping something that's short. I expect some double moves, some come and go stuff, some I'm here, then I'm there stuff on the outside, on the inside. Man, if you can hit a linebacker with a double move or a hit a safety with a double move in the slot, Winston Wright's gone. He can do stuff like that with, with kind of jerk routes and fun stuff and then just pump fakes and, and stop and go stuff outside. I would be surprised they didn't take a shot at stuff like that or they didn't use that to get open because just use your eyes. You see Army jumps a lot of stuff. That's why they get their hands on balls and make plays. Use their strength against them and, and kind of turn into a weakness. Um, love to see that, especially if they try to go deep. Mike, are you trying to say that our Army is undisciplined? Is that I, what would you're say, I would say that they're vulnerable to a sneak attack. Yeah. <laughs> they pounce. Yikes. Though. Yikes. Okay. Let's uh let's let's hit their offense because we could talk about West Virginia's offense more if you want to, but I don't think you're gonna see them do anything different. It's probably gonna be the same as you've seen for nine games in two seasons now, too. It may be slight variations here, but we kind of know who they are and what they do, and and 
listen, they're going to have to deal with Cottrell, their their nose, their defensive tackle, I guess. They kind of play a three-man front that can even jump down into like five-man front sometimes, depending on who they play. But you're going to see three or four-man fronts, even odd looks, but basically three down linemen. And uh, Cockrell is a pretty good player inside. Their linebacker, John Radigan, was a semifinalist for the Buckus Award. School has never had that. Second team All-America for USA Today, who played 21 snaps his entire career before this year. So that's a good story. And Jabari Moore, the corner, he's a really good kid from Alabama. It looks like they have good first, second, third-level players. That's a good way to build a defense. Um, we're lying if we're talking about Army and saying that we're infatuated with the defense instead of the offense. It's the offense here, too. Flip the script now, Chris. Where, when, and how do they begin to attack this uh, this defense offense? Because they, they kind of do have to attack the offense. They can't sit back and try to make plays and tackles three, four, five yards down the field. They have to go after them somehow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am extremely curious how West Virginia is going to, what personnel West Virginia is going to come in. Yeah, I think that's where I want to start with this. I know you specifically asked me how you want to attack, but I I think it depends on the personnel, you know, because you're not going to go five dbs against this team you just not unless except for the fact that unless those dbs are guys like you know tyke smith or sean hone guys that are great tacklers which they have maybe you see more scotty young as as the fifth db instead of a, a second corner even um and with tony fields out do you kind of go with a, a another defensive lineman or did how poorly they did with those run fits and that four-man front against Iowa State kind of pushed them away from that. So for me, it kind of depends on the personnel. I, I like I, I have no idea how they're going to line up with this team with, and with the guys that they currently have against Army. And their options. Their options because of the flexibility of some of these these players on this team, because of how they're mi- you know how they're missing Tony Fields and, and which way they could go with that, whether it's a you know kind of a four two five but that five is more like four safeties. I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see how they come out in this game. I love it. I don't know what they do. Do they go to a bare front? Do they play in a traditional even? And again, what are you doing with two corners out there when Army doesn't play two receivers? They don't. Right. So what are you doing? Like I, I, I'd, I'd be curious how much Miller and Fortune play together, or um, Miller could be a pretty good tackler. Do you play him and like kind of in the box safety where, uh oh, if they trick you, then we have a corner who can come out and maybe make a play. I, I, that's a really good question to me. I don't, I don't know if you have an extra linebacker to put in there, unless you're going to play like a three, four, 
kind of a defense, which would be interesting. But when you're playing what three safeties, eh, I guess that's that's one thing I'd be really interested in it to, to figure out when uh when Leslie Jordan Leslie played Holmes in junior college, they had that they had amazing defensive lines at East Mississippi. That's been well chronicled through the years that they just had tremendous talent, Division One players, Power Five players there. Um, and he could just win at the front and do that and disrupt things. And they, they kind of played a, a traditional junior college defense there. I don't know that he has the, the guys that he can avoid, like ignore that with. Like, why wouldn't he try to win with his defensive line? Like, he's got Alston and Pooler, Stills and Stills. He can run Mesador in there. Um, I'm assuming Quay Mays is not mm. with them anymore. But that's pretty much a way to play even and be, be effective. But... You could also maybe take a guy away from the front and add him to the second level because you're going to have to come down and fill gaps because there's going to be a lot of gaps. And the one thing that Leslie said that was pretty interesting this week was unless there's 12 gaps in the field, it's pretty easy what we have to do. We just have to fill the 11 with our 11, which means I could see a lot of guys coming from second and third levels to play the run, probably starting closer to the line in the box, which makes me think three-man front and then... That's a great question. Is it four linebackers? Is it three linebackers? Do you do we treat... see Akeem Akeem Mesador the mic again? Yeah, I mean that, that's which is another is a good point. I think that might have been just a one time thing as a blitz to confuse, but it worked. Yeah. But like that's a guy who's big and nimble and can do stuff. And I'm not sure that's it, but like, do you do something like that? Do you play like Cowan in the middle of something because he can run and make plays? Do you put Chandler and Tonkery together in the middle? I just wonder how they're going to get that. I, it's a great point. I've been thinking about. I don't know how to do it. I didn't ask this week because there's no way Leslie was going to tell. Um, I don't think you can use his experience at East Mississippi as an indication here because just his personnel was situated to really play well against them because they were so good up front against junior college offensive lines. Um, the cat's different here, so you got to skin it in, a, in a, a new manner. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm really curious. Like, do you, you're obviously not going to play, you know, quarters coverage against these guys. And West Virginia plays a lot of quarters coverage, which means four defensive backs are playing each quarter of the field. You'd be silly to do that against these guys. So how do they get to like cover one or cover two? Which are they going to do it with just the two safeties playing deep or just one safety playing deep? Well, again, why do you have two corners out there? You might be better adding an extra hat as a linebacker, an extra set of shoulder pads as a linebacker. Perhaps you uh, play one of your safeties in the box more often. And maybe Mahone or Adai is good at that, but perhaps X Low is better off doing that because he's a pretty athletic kid with a defensive back background. Maybe he's in for a corner or a safety as an extra linebacker. Love the point. Love the idea. Can't wait to see what they do because I figure there's going to be some sort of sleight of hand there. I don't want to take us too far off here. It's related. It's kind of what we we were just mentioning there, but maybe bigger picture or future picture. Was that a complete failure Failure of a four-man front against Iowa State? Was that a, a one-time screw-up? Do you think it scares them away from doing that more? I mean, because it, it, obviously Iowa State did kind of whatever they wanted in that game. And they said, they said afterwards that they switched to the four-man front and they did it because of their, you know, lack of linebackers, the depth there, and because – and the struggles were with the gap fits and, and lining everybody up. Was that because, you know, they tried to throw it together in that last week, week and a half? Or – do you think it's a sign that, you know, maybe this isn't the front for West Virginia, even if they have the bodies? Yeah, it's hard to say because it was such a disaster across the board. I wonder how much they practiced it. and I wonder how much they practiced it with Taj Alston. I think he played 11 or 12 snaps in that game, and very few of them went well. So it might just not have been in their bag, and it might have been 
the thing they have to do again as opposed to the thing they want to do. And if you got to play with your four defensive linemen, they better be good. But also, this you're adding you're adding a gap when you put an extra guy on the defensive line. You're supposed to be, you know, you could take one away too, but you're giving offensive linemen another way to create an alley. When they use those tight ends the way they did, you can cause some damage. You can create some seams that those guys can gash through, and they did. West Virginia's defense against the run is good because those linebackers, specifically the Mike and the Bandit, can come crashing in and make plays. And when they stop the run, they're really good at that because there is less for them to worry about. It's easier for them to identify where the play is going to and where it's getting bounced to because there are fewer options. If you add a de- defensive lineman, you're creating another leverage point for the offensive line to create an opening, and you're giving the second level, which now has one fewer player, more options to choose and pick and defend against. So the numbers just don't automatically work in your favor. And I don't think that West Virginia was quite good enough at that point at it to become some type of run-stopping dynamo against a really good run offense. They're going to have about eight or nine or ten practices since then. Um, and I would assume that all the defensive linemen are there and healthy and accounted for, so they could be better at it. Uh, I just see I see value in being an odd front with an extra person to come in and fill those lanes and those those 11 gaps that Leslie talked about. It just seems like you feel better from the second and third level if you're not great at that even front um, at the first level. So to answer your question a long way, I just don't think they were good enough at it or experienced enough at it yet, but it could be very different now. Right. And, well, in and- and for this game, I don't. Maybe you go to that way, or maybe maybe the key is like you said that that second second level and how they fill in, whether that's safeties, whether that's linebackers, whatever it is. Because when I was going through the advanced stat stuff from Pro Football Focus, and usually we you know come up with uh, three key matchups and break down passing directions and all that stuff. And nope. to be quite honest, that's <laughs> that ain't happening this week. There's not a whole lot to go on there just because. Army so kind of one-dimensional. I'm sure they hate that term, but uh, it is what what it is. But something I did notice was looking at their their rushing direction. It, it's an option. Yes, it's an option. You have the option to kind of hand it off, go inside with a dive type play, or go outside. They are going outside two out of every three, like twice as often as they are to 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 the dive on the inside. So, I was very surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah, like it's 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 remarkable. Like as far as their yardage goes, I believe in their temps as well. Uh, they they do hit for a, a better rate when they go outside as well. But the yardage was was two to one or more than two to one going to the outsides. So and split even pretty evenly from left to right. So you're not looking at any tendencies there. But so that's going to fall a lot on Tyke Smith or uh, you know whoever's lining up a Bandit, whether that's Cowan or Bartlett. And and Josh Chandler at the at the will and it's and probably like we're talking about you know are they going to go two cornerbacks why if if so it's going to be on them out on the edges it's going to be a lot of those guys on keeping that edge on the outside. Yep. Um, listen, their offense. Let's t- just a thumbnail. Their offense. They play a ton in your traditional flex bone, which means you're going to have like six guys in the line of scrimmage. You're going to have you know, sometimes seven too, but you're going to have running back on either wing kind of like an H back and you're going to have a quarterback with a under center who's less than like 510 it's hard to see him and a running back who's like 235 pounds in, in like what you what you would call your traditional running back spot so you're figuring all right seven on the front that means one side's going to be uneven four on one side three on the other something like that because they're going to use those wing backs to block and to create advantages they put tight ends in there but it's a lot of quick stuff to the, the fullback in the middle and if you're if you're falling for motion 
or if you're reading the gaps wrong or the numbers wrong, he's going to burst through and you got to make a tackle a couple yards on the field. That's not fun. That's their goal on short yardage bread and butter. They hit that quick hitter in the middle and it worked. He's got 10 touchdowns on 78 carries this year. Um, but man, they do a lot of quick handoffs to the wingbacks sweeping across. They do a lot of toss action with the wingbacks coming and that's how they get outside. They don't, and they, again, it's not option where you read it and you keep it on the dive and you run outside and you pitch it to the guy. If they don't give it right away and they go outside, that quarterback very rarely pitches it. So you got to adjust on that. The trouble is they have ways to screw you up there too, where they'll hand it off going the other way or they'll have the quarterback bounce back. Um, so again, you're just going to have to be quick and, and smart and, patient too because they're they're going to goof you up but their basic formation um running back quarterback two wing backs and then some way of getting four on one side and three on the other on the offensive line and they're good at it so you got to be you got to have the numbers too where they're tricky is is where they have that base formation and they mix it up and they move one of their wing backs to the backfield or they start them in a different spot or they stand the tight end up um and then every now and then they get into a shotgun and they start coming downhill with the numbers and with the motion. And I didn't realize they did that as much until you start watching them. And you don't think about army and, and shotgun, but they can do it and they're effective with it because you start to see the green stuff earlier. And once they have space, they're good. And when the guy's got a head of steam and he's running to the open space, as opposed to trying to power through it, they're totally different. So their base stuff is just to get big and uneven up front and use their quarterback. who's hard to see to kind of create diversions. And, you know, you can't see the handoff because you can't see him. And who did he give it to? Don't know. And all of a sudden it's through the middle or around the corner. Um, and that every now and then in the shotgun too. So how do you stop it? Who knows? Because it may make sense to try to outflank him on one side with quicker players, like a cornerback or a safety. It may make sense to be bigger up front and to try to clog the middle and bounce them outside. So maybe there's a way to have four. I'd be surprised if we don't see different, even and odd stuff. And what Leslie said this week too, is a good point. Throw a bunch of stuff out there early, see what works, see how they react. And then, you know, fourth drive, second quarter, something like that. You have an idea what you're going to settle into there too. So I'd expect to see a bunch of stuff early on. I look forward to your screen share after this game. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to get worn out after all, all, all the weird stuff we're going to see in this game. Well, here's this too. You can't get a beat on Army watching YouTube clips because their highlights that they put up are just touchdowns. They don't do anything <laughs> about how they get into the inside the five yard line. Um, they don't do anything about how they, you know, how they, how do they move the ball in second and seven? So you're going to have to rely on a bunch of like of the coaches' footage, which I'm sure they do. But like, I don't know how they do a lot of stuff. I just I was able to find some stuff, and there, there's one play in particular, perhaps I'll share. And I, I saw it a couple of times watching it play. I only saw it once in their game highlights that I watched. And it was against it's in the second game against Louisiana Monroe. That's the bad one, right? Monroe, mm -hmm. I think. So they had the, the that wingback set that I just talked about where, again, some four on one side, three on the other, the two wingbacks and the, the running back. And all the action, the motion is coming right to left, and the quarterback is going to go to the left. All the running backs – all the, all the defensive backs and linebackers are going in that direction too, except two offensive linemen are coming back to the right, and the quarterback stops, pivots, and follows those two guys into the great wide open because everybody took the bait and went the other way. And it's a counterplay. That's all it is, but it's a counterplay within what they do. It was devious. It was a great play. I know they're running a bunch, and I never saw it in any other highlights, so that was crazy. And they do a lot of stuff where they'll just have their quarterback drop back and run it like he's the one-man option and all those guys who you think are running backs and who are handoff options they turn into blockers now you got 10 guys blocking out one play good luck good luck
Uh, bowl games already get weird with play calling and, and trick plays and stuff, and this might get extra weird with all the different options that Army's going to have. They blocked seven kicks this year. Um, do you think Neil Brown goes for it a couple times? Not not necessarily like we're going to just go for a traditional offensive play on fourth and blank, but listen, they're good at blocking kicks, and they're coming at you. I feel like you can use that. Do you think we see a big field goal, a big punt? Why not? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think I think there's going to be an inordinate amount of fourth down attempts, just regular yeah. regular fourth down attempts. But uh, yeah, I, like you said, if they're all coming, I'm assuming. You know, I haven't gone back and detailed every uh, uh, Army special teams play, but if they're coming at you for the block, you know that opens them up. That makes them vulnerable to something, just like uh, constantly blitzing opens you up to screenplay. So, if they're coming at you and they're bringing 11 trying to block a kick or bringing 10 trying to block a punt, then yeah, you you, you should have an opportunity to try to. Sneak something out of there. Last one. They're they're really good in the red zone on defense. Offense, of course, they're good at because they just plot and plot and plot. But their red zone defense is tough. Twenty six possessions, sixteen touchdowns. Excuse me, sixteen scores. Uh, one of the best score percentage defenses there. So, I think the key for West Virginia is you're going to have to be efficient. You're going to have to convert third downs. Hey, stay out of third down if you can. If you get there, use all four downs, and you're going to need seven instead of threes. Um, they went seven for ten in the red zone in their final three games. I think they had just two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Not not gonna get it done. No, no, it is not. Mike, you got any thoughts on the basketball team? Hate to just full on switch switch terms on you, but uh, we haven't discussed them yet. Like concerned concerned about Cottrell's injury. Yeah, because I think he I think he didn't score. I don't believe it. He looked good out there. Um, and I don't think he took a shot even, which I was very happy with because they they want him to play. They wanted to get him going, and they couldn't find spots for him. 51 minutes played in nine games. I think they saw that and were like, holy cow, what are we doing? They got him in early, and there were a couple of times where he could have shot the ball and didn't stop bouncing inside, got Shibuya a basket, moved the ball. I think it was like a reversal, got an open shot. Didn't go in, of course, but someone had an open shot because he wasn't selfish, and he fought for some rebounds. I think he had a steal. And that's just confidence stuff where sooner or later the shot goes in. He's too talented, and he's too 6'10 for me to ignore yeah. that he was going to be a good player. And to see him not really make a weird move, but limp off the court, they never cut the tape off his ankle, they never even moved his, his foot or anything like that, that made me think, I, some people said Achilles, <laughs> I was afraid broken foot, like Liz Frank or something like that, just because it was non-contact, it wasn't anything crazy, and sometimes very subtle stuff does that, and man, just they don't have a lot of offense on the bench, and that's one less guy, and not only that, but like in reserve at that position, Osa Boyan's I don't know if he's in a slump because he's not an offensive player anyways, but it's just not working for him offensively. And I think some of his minutes might have gone there. And just it takes away some of the stuff you can do with the two bigs when you have one less big. Still not sure that they're at their best with two bigs, but you can play three guards in the two bigs. Uh, you can't play two bigs all the time if you don't have the full complement of them. I did notice that they played Matthews at the four, or excuse me, um, Bridges at the four, or Matthews at the four, but it looked like Bridges was playing the four. Which is kind of a smallish lineup, but to see him around the basket yesterday, not obsessed with three pointers, to cut, to rebound, to make some plays inside, thought that was promising. Um, I wonder, can he play in the front court, not like a perimeter wing player? Could he be like a front court player, kind of a hybrid? But could he do it? I think so. You know, he's not somebody that's going to post post guys up. He, he's he's still a redshirt freshman, but still young. So he he 
is not as strong as a lot of the guys that are going to be down low, but he's six, seven and he's long. Like he's a long six, seven. He's got a great wingspan. So I think he can absolutely be that kind of stretch four that you're looking for to put alongside Oscar or Derek in that game. And, and, and if Cottrell's hurt, he's going to have to do it. He's going to have to do it. And, and again, hopefully we'll get an answer on, uh, excuse me, uh, Cottrell in the next couple hours, maybe, uh, you know, Huggins said that, They'd have an update this morning, and again, ex- unfortunately expecting bad news because I can't remember the last time a head coach immediately said after the game, it's not good, and it and it was good. So expecting bad news there. Yeah, the, to an MRI right away. Like first right. thing, The first thing in the morning MRI is never a good sign, too. Uh, what did you think of El Juegador, Senor Emmett Matthews? <laughs> Uh, very good. I liked him. I like his God. His shooting motion freaks me out. But um, where did that come from, by the way? Is that new? I have no idea. It's like I, he's I trying don't, to touch his re- clavicle. Yeah, I have. I do not recall him shooting like that early in his career. Maybe he did. Maybe I need to go back and watch it. But <clears throat> um, I love it when he's that active. I just he when he's that active, he's good. Um, you know, he wasn't perfect yesterday. I. I was stunned in the post game when Huggins said he was extremely consistent because I that is about the last word I think of when I think of Matthews. Unfortunately, well, unless um, unless actually what he does is consistent, <laughs> he's consistently inconsistent. Uh, uh, I guess I don't know, but um, it's nice to see him when he plays like that because because Huggins was right. Like there there are times when he's just amazing and he's kind of a spark for this team, and if he can get get consistent you know this team is obviously way better and Mm -hmm. you know when else this team is way better when oscar plays yeah like man that game started and he got pulled a minute and 14 seconds in and that minute and 14 seconds he looked uh, like words that i can't even say on this podcast without getting a uh, you know a a label on it like Mm -hmm. just terrible like he he looked like he didn't care <clears throat> he was, he is six foot 10, 265, 270 pounds, as strong as any man I've ever seen. And he was getting pushed around by a guy that was six four, two hundred and twenty, 220 and wasn't grabbing rebounds and Huggins put him right out. I mean, he had two or three right there in the beginning where he should have had the rebounds and didn't. And he came back in and I think in the next, you know, at the fourteen twenty five mark, I believe it was. And in the next four to five minutes, had four points and five rebounds and yeah. finished the first half with eight points and 10 rebounds. And I, that's the response that you're looking for from him. That's the, that's the play you expect from him when he's guarded by somebody that's five inches shorter and 40 pounds less. Yeah. I answered a lot of questions on, on our message board because I said something to the effect of, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about him. Like I, I, at the beginning of the season, I, I kind of had my concerns because of things I'd heard. And then Huggins, Huggins really hit him again after the game yesterday saying that he spent way too much time traveling around the state of West Virginia in the summer and not at basketball. But uh, let's be honest, he doesn't have a ton of skill, right? He's not a guy who, 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 who like a 12 foot jumper abandoned him. It's not a guy who suddenly forgot how to dribble or who forgot how to do like drop step pivots and everything. His, his game is to hustle, to get offensive rebounds, to second score, to dunk on a perfect pass inside or a low entry pass or something like that. I'm not taking anything away from it. That's that's a five year, you know, fifty million dollar contract set of skills right there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. but he's just not a skilled player. He's he's a brute 
force offensive rebound, dunk it, catch it player. And a lot of that is just by playing hard and hustling. And it was very anecdotal, but Huggins said the day before the game, I just reminded him about that play he made when he sprinted, you know, 85 feet when no one else did as a ball rolled on the sideline, grabbed it, drove the baseline and dunked. And that's probably the marquee play of his career. And you never saw anything like that this year. I just figured, like, listen, that guy can get that back. The guy who does that highlight play, run 85 feet, boat race everybody, grab the ball, get your feet, and dunk. He can push guys around, at least underneath the basket, and get offensive rebounds and make himself available. And he hadn't seen that. I just figured that could come back very fast. Again, it's not like a lot of skill abandoned him. It's not like, for example, Sherman and McNeil, who can't buy a three, um, or McCabe, for that matter. It's not like that stuff went away from him. It's just the stuff that he can control he wasn't in control of. And he even mentioned that just like he forgot that he could just do this and do that because he was bigger and faster and stronger. That's a good sign. Um, I'm, I'm just still really worried about offense for this team. And I know that's not like a bold statement, but, <laughs> but it's just where I don't know how, like, like seasons change and personnel changes, but it's the same thing. And I don't see a ton of stuff they're doing differently. You know, this better than I do, but are they doing a ton of roll and replace stuff and pick and roll stuff anymore? Yeah. They tried early in the season, and like that was the thing we talked about in the offseason about, hey, we're going to do this and that, watch for guys, you know, screen and cut and then lob dunks. I don't know the last time a guard threw the ball above the rim for a rim runner to go get. Has it happened all year? I don't remember, but it hasn't happened lately. And I watch other teams, and like that guard that they had from Northeastern, he just kept splitting the double. Yep. Like, just like, here's the trap, bang, right through it. And there's a guy wide open in the corner. And I just don't know if that is McBride too big. Is he not good enough at that? But I just, it's a lot of passing and hoping that somebody gets an open shot or creates an open shot or hoping that someone misses a shot and we grab the rebound and put it in just organic offense. I don't know where it's coming from. And the trouble is, yeah, Kansas made 43 threes, but you're going to lose a game to somebody when they do that. And if you don't have an answer on your end of the court, if your defense doesn't stop the other side, you're in trouble. It's just the same song. I get that, but I don't see a lot of progress toward a different outcome in those types of games. Mike, let me let me end it with this. On November 9th, you wrote a story titled, Huggins will be, quote, totally stunned, end quote, if shooting struggles continue. <laughs> Are you totally stunned? I, I Listen, I put that <laughs> in there because I knew that we have this conversation every year. So that's why we say guys are making shots. Year. Yeah, so I just knew that, like, let's put that on the record because he has to be. And again, yesterday, two for 21, what was the number? Yeah, two for twenty-one. Worst, worst shooting percentage for uh, three-point shooting percentage for West Virginia in a win ever. And they, I think they have a pretty, a pretty easy shot evaluation. It's good shot, bad shot, right? Mm-hmm. How many of those were good shots? Fifteen. Yeah, I was gonna say it wasn't like they were forcing things. I mean, they might have yeah. been forcing things, but they they were kind of open on these shots. Yep. And which leads to this too. People forget this. Oklahoma was a terrible matchup for them last year and just did a number on them twice. And they just found one or two things that West Virginia couldn't do and picked on them. They don't have the same players. They have Manic and they have some similar personnel in their guards and they can score. They've never played really well in Oklahoma. It's a bad matchup for them. And I don't see a lot of momentum for them, especially on offense. And like they wore down Northeastern and Northeastern missed a ton of open shots and, you know, could have made the game different, but they're better than Northeastern and should be. I, I really wonder about them on the road against a team that a good coach who knows that he picked on them last year in a couple of things. I don't see West Virginia doing great work against ball screens this year. I'm not sure how good their bigs are going to be guarding the perimeter and Manic again. Um, 
I, I just <laughs> it's it's a concerning game. It's a good test for them. I get that, but you know, two games in a row, if they lose that Oklahoma game, if they don't play well in that Oklahoma game, you wonder like, listen, have they done anything different to this point after eleven games in last year? Record may be different, the ranking may be higher, but what are you working with going forward? Right? I don't think that what's happened or what's happening is nearly as important as what happens with these guys because we know what could happen based on what we saw last year and to some extent the season before. What in the present or in the immediate future changes what you think about their their eventual outcome there too? <laughs> it's, that's a tough. That's a tough Saturday Monday. That's that's a tough yeah. Saturday Monday. Yes, it is, and and I think. Those two on the road, and then you know, not coming back till what is it, the ninth? I think is the next home game. You know, you got to, you can't start Big Twelve play zero and three. Can't no, <laughs> really. I mean, I that's not some super secret analysis here. You, you just can't can't do that. They got Iowa State, but if they lose three in a row, oh yeah, excuse me, one and three. Sorry, right? But if they lose those three, and again, they're like the Oklahoma game's tough. It just is. Like I would be surprised if they dominated them, or if they, I wouldn't be surprised if they won. But if it was like, all right, piece of cake, we, we're, we're we're cool for Monday because we be able to, you know, sit our guys for the final six minutes like we did on on Tuesday. I don't think that's going to happen because it's a bad matchup for them, and I haven't seen a lot from them defensively this year or in those areas on the perimeter screens, whatever, to make me think that they they figured it out suddenly. Could they figure it out between then and now? Sure. But it would be a lot of progress in a short amount of time. Yeah, uh, tough back to back. You're sitting at one and three, and then turn around with two top ten teams right after that. Um, yikes! 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 Not great. Nope. Got to no, get probably got to get got to get both of them. Got to get Oklahoma. I really think just to just to change the dynamic and the talking points. But um, yeah, don't come home one two. Otherwise, maybe don't come home. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up here. Uh, we have plenty going on on the website today and tomorrow. A full pregame, got by the numbers, got the final fresh set, had the game uh, hopefully at 4 o'clock. Right. And then postgame pod, and then, um, I don't know, hopefully uh, weather. We never even talked about this. The weather cooperates. Um, I don't think oh. we'll have a lightning delay, but that's supposed to be a bog tomorrow, which obviously plays into Army's hands, I think, which probably is something we should have mentioned in the first 56 minutes of this, that <laughs> it, it, it could be soggy, it could be a swamp, and that's probably right up Army's alley. I I always forget to check the weather on this stuff. Always. Always, always, always. 90% and, and chance of rain, and it'll do exactly what you think it's going to do. That's our expert analysis. If it rains, great. advantage Army. Yep. Uh, that's tough. That is Anything tough. else, Chris? No, as uh, I say, let me see what we got lined up. Uh, got expert picks up on the site. We'll have a little more preview stuff, a couple more videos. And and then, like you said, the game tomorrow afternoon. And I would expect, hint, hint, some answers on, from the seniors not long after the game. Maybe maybe Thursday night, maybe Friday. Um, you know, we'll see. But Neil Brown said he's expecting three or four more. Uh, We've heard two, right? Two for uh, sure. Yeah. As I say, we, we, we've heard two, and I know at least one of them plans to make uh, an announcement, you know, within 24 hours of the game ending. So keep your ears up. Keep your ears up. Front to back. Good news for the defense. Yes, absolutely. I think that's it. Sounds good to me. Let's wrap, Let's it, wrap up. it up. Ah, uh, if you want to finish, you want me to finish. No, you go ahead. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.